I want to talk to you about an event that is increasingly um, speaking to me, increasingly um, moving me, increasingly, um, I'm increasingly drawn towards it, right, okay, and this event is called, wait for it, Park Run, all right, okay, Park Run, doesn't sound like it should be that moving an event, does it? Park Run, for, um, some of you will know about it, um, some of you won't know about it, it's really just a 5k race, or they say 5k run, they don't, they don't like the terminology of, of race. Um, there's about 300 people do it, it happens, the nearest one to us, and they're all up and down the country, but the nearest one to us is Ponty Park, it's just up the road, and if you ever fancy that, you'll always find a couple, at least a couple of people um, from Christchurch uh, will be there. Um, at the start of the event, there's a, a, a guy or a girl with a, I'm going to call it a loud hailer, and it's almost certainly that's not <laughs> what it is. I think that might be what it is. And there's just a few an- announcements. There's a, this welcome that goes out to everyone, and then there's this information. Run around. That's what you've got to do. Run around the park. Quite simple stuff is, is, uh, is park run. Don't fall over, which I think is a lovely sort of bit of wisdom. I mean, it almost goes without saying, but it's there again. And if you do see that somebody that's fallen over, pick them up and be courteous. That's one of the announcements that they always make. If you, it's not our park. We just happen to be here. If you see somebody coming the other way, then you be the person to move out of the way. So, and as I've, as I've, I guess I've seen this, I guess I've seen this before, but I've, I feel like I've been particularly reminded of it as we've come out of lockdown at least at the moment we're out of lockdown, you know, in, as a response to lockdown. I've been aware of just, yeah, of just how brilliant an event it is. And there's a few things that kind of stand out to me. The first one, so it's got no, there's no premises when you go up there. It's just about 300 people that just happen to be in this place. So that, in the current way of things, is quite, a, you know, it draws your breath a little bit. You see all these people. And it's, you know, it's in a safe place and there's lots of respect and everything else. But you see this and you're like, okay, that draws my attention in and, in and of itself. The other thing, all sorts of shapes, sizes, races, colors, abilities on the start line. It's an incredible thing to see. There's people at the front who you think, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, Olympic Games in a couple of years is a possibility. Genuinely, there's that story. And there's other people who are looking at it going, I might not get around today. This might be my last run. I might die on the way around. You know, it's, it's that, there's, there's such a breadth of people that are involved. And that's been me. <laughs> that's definitely been me um, a couple of times. There's no profit. As far as I can figure out, I could be wrong. I don't think there's any profit in this. Loads of volunteers everywhere. Just takes your breath away almost in the world that we live in. The capitalist world that we live in where you think nobody's chasing any money here, at least that I can see. And participation, and this is one of the real awesome things, participation is celebrated just as much as achievement or victory. Just getting around, celebrated. Doing a bit better than you did last week is celebrated. So these people that are amazing, people that are doing like 14 minutes that could well go to the Olympics, and these people just getting around every week, and everybody is celebrated. I think in an increasingly individualistic world increasingly I think we are separate disparate particularly probably particularly in the West we are separate and disparate where some of the values that we have are personal gain we talk a lot about self actualization sort of really realizing ourself self um, independence this is another thing that we are chasing after we want to be just dependent we don't need anybody else we want to be dependent on our own 
in a world that is shaped, lords, by that, there's something incredibly compelling about an event where the whole is the triumph. The whole is the thing that's celebrated. It's all of the people together that make the event sing, that make it good. There's that feeling of, crikey, next door, there's chaos. There's that feeling of belonging. There's that feeling of sort of shared achievements, equality of success. It's the whole thing that makes it tick. Even if you're not into running, or even if you're like me, and you're incrementally getting worse at running, which is awful, um, by the way. It's still, I told my kids um, last Saturday morning, you should go, it's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. It's a brilliant thing. You can, this, and it's because it's not sourced or um, celebrated just by what the individual achieves. It's what the group achieves. Go down there. It's awesome. You'll feel part of the story. You'll be able to help somebody out. You'll be able to celebrate the thing that you do as everybody else does. A couple of assertions that I want to make at the start of this talk. The first one is, and this is, if you are a Christian, you might know this, and it's good to be reminded of it. If you're not a Christian, it might be something for you to think about. I'm going to say to you, God created community. It's God's idea, is community. Let us make man in our image, is what God said at creation. It's not good, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and one I can really relate to. It's not good for a man to be alone, says in Genesis. I don't know what the man was doing. I imagine him stuck in a bush or something when God looks down when it's just Adam and Eve. It's not good for the man to be alone. He created us for community and he didn't create us. He didn't give us community just for kicks. It wasn't just an experiment. He didn't just say, all right, I'm going to put them all together and see what happens. That, that wasn't what it was about. It was, we were put into community. Community is created that, two reasons, I guess. That we can experience God and God can be declared and made known to other people. Um, this is something that Jesus prays, actually. Jesus, Jesus prays this out just before he's, um, he's crucified, and he realizes it in his, in his death. So read with me. In fact, you won't be able to read with me. Just let me speak over you, John 17, 20 to 23. Uh, that sort of emphasizes the point. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about us today. He's talking about Christians into the future. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Think about that. All of them, all the Christians, may be one. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this idea that unity will speak and speak of God. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, as the Trinity exists. That they may, you know, as God is himself, as triune being, this communal being, that we might be that. God lives in us, I'm sorry, and I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prays this, this is his prayer, the night before he goes to the cross. This is, this is and, and he's going to the cross, and this is his prayer. And that incredible prayer, amazingly, is what's realized 
after he's risen from the dead in and around Jerusalem, this frightened church wakes up and blows people away. It doesn't, it doesn't grow because it beats them with sticks. It doesn't grow because it erects amazing buildings. It grows because the Spirit's at work, the Word's been preached, but people have been stunned and amazed by these, what they called in an offensive way, you know, as a, as a disrespectful term, Christians, as they love one another, as they are a group. You know, they are persecuted, and yet they stick together. They are different in so many ways, cultures and classes and backgrounds and circumstances and wealth and everything else, and yet they have this incredible unity. People stop belonging to themselves and belong to each other in Jesus. So I've stopped myself in my tracks a little bit as we've gone through this series. I think I'm aware, as I've read through this letter, loads of my application, and I think I'm a, I am a, a victim of the society that I live in. I'm speaking often, and it's, it's right to a certain degree, I'm speaking often to you as individuals, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to impress God's word upon you as individuals. And you go away then, as I go away at times, and I'm thinking about what this means for me, myself. And I'm thinking things like, oh, I need to go away. I need to go and work harder. I need to go away and be a bit more disciplined, read my Bible, um, you know, try and get onto the next level, all that, all that sort of a thing. Good things. But one of the things that I'm forgetting is, so often, and as in this letter, when God speaks to us, God speaks to us as a whole. So he speaks to you and you and you and you all as individuals. But at the same time, he speaks to us. And in this letter, we see it really clearly, and I think I've missed it a little bit. He speaks to us all at the same time. So the implications are not just for you as individuals. They are for us as a collective. The blessings are not just for you as individuals. Oh, you know, I feel a bit close to God. Um, I've had better quiet times this week. They are for us all together, all at the same time. So this is a really simple talk. It's just a couple of things in this passage that I think we need to hear together. Okay, so I'm just going to go through the passage really quick. And it's a couple of things that we need to hear and we'll be blessed by together at the same time. So let's read um, verse 7 and 8 first. Dear friends, let's love one another. Uh, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Lots of, lots of talk about love. It's quite a romantic notion. And I think as you hear it, almost the romanticism of it means that we just, like, we just kind of let it numb us and we just sort of let it wash over us. Because we, we don't stop and think about that he's actually asking us. We go, so that's love. Oh, yeah, that's a nice thing. And it kind of just drifts along. John says, and listen to it, commands, instructs, let's, let us love one another. When we, when we actually stop and think, like even as we look around the room or we think about the wider church or the church down the road or whatever else, when we actually stop and think about that, we apply all of our present day wisdom, all of our societal norms. We think, that's not possible. Can't really, that person's weird. That I would define them, that would be their primary identification, just Weird. That person, we've never got on. Or you might say things like, well, there's 50 or 60 of us. It's, you, can't, you can love a couple of people, you can't love 
can't love beyond that. Maybe got a couple of people in my family I can I can't even really manage to love them all the time. How am I supposed to love beyond that? We put all these like societal norms over it. Jesus says, John says rather, in this passage, love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. And you know him. And this is kind of the implication in the text. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's been born of God. I think you've got Nicodemus in your head. You've got this idea, Nicodemus in John 3. John wrote this down as well. This idea of rebirth. And John's saying, we've been born again, but not physically born again. We've been born again in love. The foundation of our start again was that we recognized that God actually loved us. And the logic is, if you know him, if you've been born again, in him, if you know how loaded with love he is for you and how loaded with love he is for the world, how deep it runs, you're able to love the person the other end of the room that drives you mad. You're able to love the person that you've not, that's weird, that you've not got to know. Because you know God and you know that he's love. In fact, in fact, and this is like the challenge of it, you're able to love people that you don't even like. First thing that we see, I think, in the text, John talks about, is that God's love is different to the love that we've known. The possibilities, the limits that we set ourselves. John says, this love's different than that. If you know God, if you know God like I think you've got to know God, then the possibilities for love are different than that. That's the first thing. Second thing, verse 9 through to 10. This is how God showed his love. Amongst, in this moment, I think John, as he's been doing throughout the book, he's trying to get them to really think about what love is, what God's love is. So if, you'll notice if you go and read through the letter, you'll see he comes back around to it over and over again. And he's trying to get them to think a bit deeper. Don't just take this thing on face value. I want you to dig around get to the bottom of what God's love actually is. This is how God, verse 9, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then he he does that thing that often happens in the Bible. It's a repetition almost, but with a slightly different emphasis. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, what does this mean? So this, this is something that I've learned and I've definitely not mastered as my wife. If you want to ask, I will testify afterwards. One of the biggest difficulties in, in relationships, in, in love, in the relationship game, is that one partner or another partner assumes to have fully grasped what love is when all that they know is their own version of it. They think that they've got the whole thing, the whole picture, when all that they've really grasped is their own version of it. So uh, me and my wife for quite a few years have done marriage courses. and Various people have come into, into our home. And they were particularly interesting events, particularly at the start when we started doing this, when we realized, well, we, we learned a, <laughs> a thing or two as we're watching these brilliant videos about marriage. 
And we learned about one of the sessions that still stops me in my tracks was on love languages. And I think I was about 26, 27. I had a busy week. I hadn't prepped at all. Love languages came up on the title, and I'm thinking, I know what love languages is. That's your chat. That's the charm. And I, I went to a place that doesn't exist in reality for me and thought, yeah, I know what this is. This is I've got the chat. I can, this is romance. Da, 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 da. That's where it's going to go. How wrong? How wrong could you be? And how foolish uh, could you look as, the, as, as this video progressed? And what they taught in this, in this video was that there are many different love languages. And what often happens is you think the, the, way, that you, the way that you receive love you assume the way that you feel loved, you assume is just is, is how everybody else receives love. So for me, it was um, acts of service. I've written them all down here. So there are acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, physical touch. These were the ones that this, this course identified. And up until that point in our marriage, I think I'd, I thought that acts of service was the full capacity of love. So Jude was drowning in cups of tea and me working long hours. And I was thinking, why does this woman not grasp the infinite love that I possess? Why is she not blown away by me as a person? This is love. This is love. Cups of, do you want a cup of tea? No, I don't want a cup of tea. And to do dishes? No. Because there's more to love than that. I realized I hadn't even scratched the surface of love. John is saying in this passage, verse 10, this is love, not that we loved, but that this is love, not that we loved, not that we thought we'd nailed it, but that God loved us. John's saying, your, your notion of love, good Christian people, is pretty small, if that's all that it is. If you think that your version of love encapsulates love, he says to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says to the broader church says to us today love is so much more than that and the way he explains it is is by saying real love is God's love and it's known when you realize that what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago this is the essence of love this is the full spectrum of love when you look at that event and you realize that was for you you realize God did that for you then you get something of what love is. And he uses the terminology that's not that frequent in the Bible. He says in verse 9, this is how you know, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. So that, that particular expression just comes up a couple of times in the, in the whole Bible. And it's supposed to draw your eye. And you're supposed to realize how precious the son is. One of the stories, if you know your Bible, that come into your head will be the story of Abraham and Isaac. And God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, up the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. And everybody listening in goes, what? And up Abraham goes with his son, his only son. And as we come over these verses, we realize that God, as he talks about his son, is saying, and John you know, explores this, it's precious to God, and yet, he's precious, and yet, because God so loved the world, because his love is like that, he was willing 
to send him. That is what love is. As Christians, I think our whole journey is slowly realizing that we've not got our heads around what love is. In some respects, God bless us all. But we might not be any further along than me thinking I've nailed it because I can make a cup of tea. God says to us, there's so much more to love than that. Look at the cross. It's a whole new love language. So we have this full picture of love, this incredible new possibilities, and it's a whole new language. And then he says at the end, this love, this amazing love, this is incredible, these last couple of verses. Because we, I think at this point we're supposed to be blown away by love. We're supposed to be like, wow, that is incredible. I hope I can have that. I hope that we have that. And he says at the end of this passage, this love can be made visible. This love can be experienced. Verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. Now I had to read... I read one commentary for the, most of the preaching, and then I got to this verse, and I thought, I need to read another commentary. And I read it again, because when you're a bit anxious that you, whether you're going to say something that might not be right, you, so I read as many commentaries as I could get my hands on, and I couldn't quite believe it. Read verse 12. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God's in us, and his love He's made complete in us. There's a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament that says something like, no one can see God and live. God's not, what's it say? No one has ever seen God in verse 12. The Old Testament says, no, you can't see God and live. God says it over and over again. Moses, we reach this point in the the story where Moses says, I want to see you. It's going to help me out to see you. And God says, "You you can't see me and live. What we'll do is you can hide yourself in that rock and I'll pass by and you can see where I've been. And just seeing where God had been left Moses on the floor in worship and all his apparel was changed. He was radiant. In the story of the Bible, for a little while, 30 years or so, we did see God. This is the story of the Bible. We didn't see him. We couldn't see him. We were grasping around to figure out what he looked like. And then for a wonderful while, humanity forever could, did. He was there. Seen, and as John keeps saying over and over again, seen and touched and experienced. He was there. That's the testimony. John says to the church and to us, even though we can't physically see him now, which was the reality for them then and us us now. When we, enabled by him, are able to love one another, that hugely difficult thing that we talked about at the start, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, keep meeting together, put up with one another, you know all the one another's in scripture. As each bit of the body does its work, as each part loves and experiences love as a community, something of the fullness of God gets seen. His, the completeness of, of his love gets seen. We don't 
we don't just get to see where God was, what he did. We get to see where he's going. We don't just get to see our own little bit of love. If we love each other, if we're truly moved by this story, then we get to see the fullness of God in each other. I don't know if you realize it. I don't know what you think of Park Run. Maybe you just go, oh. I was quite moved by it. I was quite blown away by it, to be honest. The last couple of weeks, I've been like, this is an amazing thing. It's great to see community like that. It's great to see people being sacrificial like that. It's great to see that they're not everyone's chasing money. It's great to see people helping each other out. It's quite a powerful thing. The church, here's what I would put to you, the church is the most powerful community that exists on the face of the earth. It won't be snuffed out. It won't, lose, it won't become unfashionable. Like even if it does become unfashionable, it won't be snuffed out because it's built and established on love, love for each other. And as we love one another, and this is the whole deal, or a huge big part of the deal for us, we experience God and we make him known amongst us, ourselves. What I'd like to do, because I think it's been that kind of a service, is put ourselves under these words. So there's a sense in which I try and preach it and I try and add loads of emphasis and I, and I try and make a gesture and I do all this sort of stuff. It's God's word. So one of the things I'm going to do just now is I'm going to sort of move to this side and I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm going to ask us just to read it through to verse 12 and feel the full weight of it together. And then after I've done that, the band are going to come up and they're going to, we're going to sing our last song together. So I wonder if you'd just stand with me and put yourself under these scriptures and be challenged by them. So I'm not going to ask you to read them out. I'm just going to ask, I'll read them out and I'm just going to ask you just to hear them and deal with them. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us.